Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, pop culture, and living in a Barbie world, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I'm Rebecca Stewart, Europe Brand Editor at Adweek, and today we're going to be talking all things the Barbie movie. What else? I'm joined by my brilliant co-host, Luz Corona. How are you, Luz? And are you going to see Barbie or Oppenheimer this weekend? Yes, I was actually thinking, so I'm making plans with friends to go see, obviously everything is even go until next week um but we are all pretty hyped for it I'm so excited are you going to see it Rebecca yes I'm going on Tuesday which was the earliest tickets I could get with Brittany our creativity editor so oh that's review on next week's pause um yeah I feel like and our guests today are great but I I just I just feel like the best way to describe all this is Chris Jenner works hard but the Barbie marketing and PR team works harder that's the feel is the best way to describe this <laughs> I feel like this is my Super Bowl like people at yes. Adweek get really excited about the Super Bowl this is my Super Bowl and joining us to discuss how the world has turned pink we have two fabulous guests we have Leila Fatar, founder of cultural and marketing firm platform 13 and we have brand and marketing consultant Jenny King it's so lovely to have you both here how are you doing we're good we're overwhelmed as well we're overtaken it feels like at the moment <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> How are you, yeah, Jen? I'm doing really well. I'm doing great. It's it's really fun, actually. I love the way you describe it as sort of your Super Bowl moment, because I feel like Super Bowl's gotten the credit for so long as like the advertising moment. And we got to give credit to our girl Barbie for showing that like ladies can do it too. We're it's not just a Super Bowl world. Like <laughs> Barbie's out there, and she's commanding just as much star power and respect as some of those NFL players. Yeah. Amen. and I was reading an article the other day that was talking about how this is a film made by women for women which is so rare um which yeah I want to talk about that a bit later but first of all I'm keen to hear both your thoughts on the kind of Barbie ad blitz that's taken over life social media what do what do we think of it and has it made you want to see the movie Leila do you want to start um absolutely thanks Rebecca I'm not a traditional Barbie fan. I didn't play with it as a kid. I was quite a um, It's a problematic toy. It always has been for multiple reasons we don't need to go into. Um, and I think what's been interesting for someone like me, um, who's not ne- necessarily the traditional target audience, is that really well and have been quite shrewd in how they've done their marketing to be attracted to someone like me actually and I think that that's been done really well um, and we can talk more about how, you know what those things are that have made me feel that way 
of the things in the trailers that I thought, were, again, was really clever was, for those who love Barbie, come watch this movie. For those who hate Barbie, come watch this movie. Or something along those lines, which I thought actually was quite clever. So they've been really good at doing what I call ways of doing things, like the choice of the partnerships, the choice of the people involved, um, is all to make sure that they were addressing those problems up front, even, of course, Greta um, herself, etc. So I think they've actually done really well doesn't have that kind of like you know connection to barbie as a child at all um so i think that's been done really well mm -hmm. we'll talk more about that i'm sure later yeah there's so much to unpack and so jen much. like any kind of standout campaigns for you any favorite moments from the barbie campaign trail yeah absolutely so i similar to layla i was not a barbie fan as a kid like it just was not my cup of tea i was tomboy. I was an athlete. Barbie just didn't feel like it was for me. Mm. And when I had heard there was a Barbie movie coming out before knowing that Greta Gerwig was attached and Margot Robbie played such a big role, I was like, oh, Barbie, who, who hasn't seen that? <laughs> and I will say from the moment I saw the trailer, I was like, I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> now, it was, like, it, was, it was probably the most provocative and captivating two minutes I'd seen in a really long time. And I think, you know, to your point, Layla, it's like, it's if you love Barbie, see it. If you don't love Barbie, go see it. And I think, you know, certainly the appeal of Greta Gerwig, but just this notion of telling a story at a time that feels like it's a story we need stopped me in my tracks in the best way. So I'm excited to see it. I absolutely never thought I'd say that. Um, I do love what Airbnb did from a partnerships perspective. I think, you know, they've had a long history of doing really extraordinary branded entertainment content. They've done some great work with Lego, with the Jungle Book. And so they've had some space playing with theatrical releases, but I think the magnitude to which they took this particular execution was pretty special. And I, I think a lot of credit is owed to the collaborative nature of how the studio, Airbnb, and all of the executive producers and Mattel worked cohesively to make it feel exactly right. So every single level of detail, as you look at some of the creator content that's been put out around that collaboration, is down to every last pink nail in the way in which mm -hmm. that experience was built to make it feel like you were immersed in that dream house from the movie. That to me feels really special. And I, I like that in a world where scale has become the conversation, the acute level of detail is actually the thing we need the most. And that's really prescient to me. Um, I think for me, it's the nuances, you know, that has been super sharp for someone who's really cynical about marketing. Um, I've been in cultural marketing for a long time. I'm all about the details because that's where the hooks are. Um, and so I think they really, really, really well. As I said, you know, for someone who is really cynical about generally what it is, um, I think they've thought hard about addressing the problem areas and tried to do it in a different way. There's a lot more work to do. So or not is something we need to chat about more and kind of what that further sort of conversation is for longevity but I guess hoping to see um, that they've actually thought past uh, the launch this weekend that would be good to know yeah yeah for sure and I think um, Rebecca does I'm just gonna sing your praises Bex um, sure by the time this episode is out there you know Rebecca's piece will um um, Mattel marketing about this whole Barbie marketing campaign and how it's really like a long game play is out and I highly recommend everyone read it um, and I'm sure we'll dig into that for uh, in a little bit but I want to actually 
thought about cultural relevance and I want to take a step back, um, you know, to the very beginning of Barbie and not to say like, let's do a history or anything. But I think it is important to review um, because the whole point is to keep Barbie culturally. I think that's what we can all agree. The This movie is part of that. And it seems like part of the Mattel strategy moving forward. So, you know, mm-hmm. Jen, for your voice piece, um, because you're also covering Barbie and just cultural relevance there as well a little bit of an overview of just like the beginnings of Barbie and just specifically like why that is so relevant to the story they're trying to tell today? Absolutely. Um, And I will say uh, I did some good educational research. I watched uh, Tiny Shoulders, which is on Hulu, and it's a documentary (laughs) of sort of that pivotal moment in repositioning. And I think, you know, to just take a quick step back in the history, Barbie has been polarizing since the beginning. And I think that's something that people are maybe less aware of um, that, you know, we feel like in these these um, flash pan moments in society and cultural revolution that Barbie is utilized as a provocateur and people feel like they either love her or they hate her. And it's actually something that was woven into the history and heritage of when she came to be. Interestingly enough, the origin of Barbie is predicated on what we know to be now as the repositioning of Barbie, which is all about you can be anything. So when Ruth Handler set out to make this toy, It was inspired by her daughter playing with paper dolls. And she thought to herself, what a really interesting imaginative way for girls to see themselves in a different light, to see a future, to envision a life for themselves. But it was flat. It was quite literally two-dimensional. And her her idea was to dimensionalize that through a doll. Uh, And she found a way forward after uh, a lot of strife. She really took an interesting role as a woman of her time, fighting to produce a product that men in the room said, this will never work. Um, And when Barbie came into the marketplace and was debuted, the intention was for it to be empowering, to inspire little girls to see themselves in anything. A lot of product design choices were actually done with intentionality around changing the narrative for young girls at the time. So you don't see Barbie in a setting like cooking dinner for her kids and her husband. You don't see Barbie playing the the typical domesticated woman of the late 50s, early 60s. You see her in careers that women at that time actually did not have. And that was very much by design to inspire girls that they could be anything. With that, the physicality of Barbie's shape and form and looks felt very vapid, very superficial, very unattainable. And so there was always a tension and a conflict around this notion of women empowerment, but maybe almost over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized inconsistency in what femininity looked like. And that tension over time has produced a lot of the polarization we see today. Um, but Barbie at her at her core was always meant to embody the spirit that we now see Greta Gerwig's Barbie and this Barbie of a new generation, a Barbie that maybe a millennial that was never a fan or a millennial that tapped out or Gen Z who's possibly learning about Barbie for the very first time can find a spirit of relevance and relatability to that in the past we haven't had that lens of transparency and authentic conversation around. And it's interesting because when, you know, you're mentioning that Barbie had to like reposition herself to become relevant again. And when I was speaking to Lisa McKnight, who's the EVP of Dolls at Mattel, 
Um, she's been there for 20 years and in 2014 she noticed a sales dip. Um, they'd kind of consecutively been, Barbie had been consecutively been dropping in sales since 2011. And it was at this point she decided to like re-engineer the doll in terms of the marketing and the product innovation. And as you mentioned, Jen, she went back to this idea of like limitless possibilities and smashing gender stereotypes. But she also changed the kind of range of the Barbies. She made Barbie more diverse, a range of body shapes, skin tones, hair types, careers that we had never seen before. And I think now Barbie has 197 different um, dolls or models. And, and Leila, this comes back to like something you were saying, you know, you said the brand had some problems, you were never kind of drawn to it as a child and the movie has sort of not changed your mind, but has made you rethink maybe Barbie's role in culture and her relevance. Could you talk a little bit about that? Watch the movie first, <laughs> to be fair. So this is all the hype to get to the yes, movie. I'll make the my decision after I see the movie, uh, I think. So I think, again, as a cynical marketer, you know, I understand hype really well. I'm from Sneaker World. Um, very, very clear on the strategy here. Um, and as we always talk about, for us, it's about hype and depth. So let's see the depth, hopefully, um, around this and, and further projects. Um, I'm from South Africa. Barbie was definitely not representative of anyone in my world um, and in Africa and I'm sure in other places as well. So even more than um, the typical stereotype um, that, you know, I think did well and did well, of course, for us in Africa, it, it wasn't even near anything that we were looking at. So I think there's another layer as well, you know what I mean, from my point of view, um, body shape, all yeah. these kind of things. I mean, these Completely different view of the world for me so it's probably also why it didn't touch me in any way um so I think as I said interesting for me around we saw what was happening around of the dolls from that times I think Lisa did a really really good job with that you know I, I was like oh that's interesting that they're showing different body shapes different colors etc that was great I think what they've done with this time is leveled that up and sort of elevated it from the cast you know they're really choiceful about the cast Issa Rae is vocal about these things America Ferreira is mm -hmm. you know ugly Betty these are vocal people about these things Will Ferrell who you know so you know I'm really happy with these people that are in the choice of them um, I'm also really happy with the people who've been advocating for them Clara Ampho here in England um, you know she's I've known her for a long time you know vocal about inclusivity you know she pulled out of the l'oreal um job because of monroe um so for her to be so, such an advocate means a lot says a lot um and i think that's what they've been really really good at, so that the advocates for it have been people who have always been vocal around inclusivity diversity it feels like there's something behind it that maybe we don't know yet hoping for you know the choice of the music artists you know Nicki Minaj is Barbie basically it's Lizzo you know yeah. it's Charlie <laughs> so for me all these things kind of come together uh you know Pink Panther Pink Panthers is, is a thing um you know she's amazing but she is Gen Z and she's really so someone is also there who's really understanding the things that are influencing people that have voices that are different I that for me is like what what 
what I get up for in the morning when I do marketing, like, you know, this idea of cultural nuances and understanding those links. So I'm excited about the marketing so far. Let's see the film to see it because I'm hoping that it's not going to be, <laughs> I hope it's as much as I'm making it or how I, I can, <laughs> they try to position it um, using these different people, yeah. working with these different people as well. Um, what I really loved yesterday According- they was, got into Google, you know, doing my bit of research the whole thing was in sparkles and it, I'm like, you know what? Oh my God. That is OG stuff if you can get Google to change their background yes. with sparkles on it. That was amazing. <laughs> okay, we're, we're not playing here with this. Uh, you know, these are the things that I love. These are the things that, that I really enjoy in terms of the job that I do as well. Yeah, great. Sorry, sorry. But, yeah. yeah, that's hint. No, I was just going to say that. Yeah, I love that, actually, the pink sparkles on Google. It was so, such a small detail, but it just delighted me. Yeah. And, and yeah, the soundtrack is incredible. And I don't think you are going to be disappointed because from the reviews I've read, America has a really amazing monologue in it. Exactly. So I'm excited to hear that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, there's definitely been thought behind the messaging the connections, the, you know, and, and the voices who are doing these things and that, that, you know, excited to go and see it as well because I'm, I'm keen. I know these people are like vocal about these things. So they wouldn't get involved if they didn't feel like it was representative for them. That's how I feel about it. Um, and that's what, what truly. I, I love that. And I think that's, yeah. That's a, I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, obviously, like whenever there's a blockbuster film, you know, the actors are out on pressers and this feels so different. Yeah. Like, I think there's a, especially when you're choosing to attach yourself to a franchise that has a bit of a like stigma to it. Exactly. If you're an artist, yeah. whether you're a musical artist or you're a performer or an actor of any kind, and you're saying you're going to attach yourself yes. to this project, and not only attach yourself to this project, but go hard on the way you're promoting it. Yes. There's got to be something genuine behind it. There is no amount of money that could be paid to someone, in my opinion, that is going to get them to put their own morals on a shelf. And so when you've got people in culture who traditionally haven't been given this kind of platform to be a part of a moment like this, saying, real deal, there is something undeniably special about that. And I think that's the cultural catalyst that makes this particular moment so special it's movie marketers and whether it be the studio, whether it be the producers, whomever is behind sort of the the brilliance. And it may be some magical, mythical, like intersectionality of all of them. But there is a genuine authenticity around the way people have rallied. And I think that's really special. A lot of times when brands try and lean into culture, it feels very jagged. It feels very forced. Everyone wants to sort of be in the culture, but people don't understand what that means or how to do it. And I think it's because it is quite truly forced. People are trying to push a square peg through a round hole. And in this case, I give so much credit to the arbiters of this marketing strategy because they let culture come to them and they listened and they learned and they wanted to build together. And I think that's such a lesson for those who are aspirationally wanting to find out how to be part of the culture haven't quite figured out the ways to unlock that yet. And the f- biggest unlocker, and, and I'm glad in a way um, that we have this conversation because for many, many years, I vocal around what I call cultural voices. They are different to influences. Please, there's a one takeaway from yes. this entire podcast. <laughs> it is cultural voices can do a bit of 
job for your brand than just influencers who will deal with anything without shared values. That for me is like, it's, I've, I've always, I personally always worked like that. And that's something that really you can see as I say, someone who's cynical like me, and I'm sure other people as well, you get these amazing people who we know will not stand for something that didn't have the depth. And that's the thing that's making someone like me really excited. And for any brand, new audience, ones who are not necessarily your traditional audiences, that's growth right there. You know what I mean? That's the opportunity for business growth. And I talk about cultural relevance as a business growth driver. It is not just to have it's a business growth driver if done well and if done properly and that's the you know that's the golden nugget basically to be able to do something at scale but with those nuances as well um and that and that's where you that's why i'm really impressed with it and i know I, I sort of bang on about these kind of small things but really um that's the beauty of a crafted and well thought out campaign that doesn't feel like it's just a spike for the reason of spike and what part is that it's the sag strike right but almost in a way they don't need to do the press tour i mean it's insane right so i'm just yep. my brain is just like blowing up okay so yeah hadn't I collaborations and other people talking about advocating for them you know that would have been a really big issue so again breaking the model evolving I'm telling you, it's the only way forward for 21st century companies. I mean, Luz, you know how I feel about it. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. All the playbook, please. <laughs> you can see the impact. Yes. You can see the effect and you can see it. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a huge lesson. <laughs> a huge lesson. Um, I think. So hopefully, hopefully we can move forward with marketing. That would be fun. Because actually culture marketing, <laughs> marketing. It is. Yeah. There's no getting away from it. <laughs> Not a separate thing you know and it's, it says it all here so i'm quite glad i'm quite glad a lot of boxes have been ticked um and yeah on, on a personal level from, from an industry trade and craft point of view um i don't know what you think about that yeah for sure i i think um you know what's interesting as you both were making really great points in that i feel like the the marketing rollout can also be comparable to barbie's own um you know so for example like um, we're talking about first impressions of the of the movie when we saw the trailers, first heard about, you know, the Barbie movie coming out. But I remember, um, you know, first impression was like, oh, cool, exciting. That should be Ryan Gosling. Yeah. And then when um, part of the campaign was rolling out, like I think they had the filters where people were placing themselves oh, the on the Barbie logo. Oh, the generator was brilliant. Yes. Oh, yeah, the generator. And mm -hmm. then that's when we, that's when I at least, so Ray was going to be part of this, America Ferreira, you know, and you just start to see. It. And then I paid closer attention because, you know, you immediately almost brush it off like, oh, great. This is going to be a fun, cheeky movie. And then they're like, oh, wait, they're, look at this cast. It's almost what they were doing in trying to make their own product line more diverse. And the movie is matching that as well. And, and um, that's also just good understanding of how social works. So when I re-released Stan Smith back in the day, I did a generator of... I don't know if you know the Stan Smith shoe has got the green face of Stan Smith on the tongue. We did a generator right. of their photos and it became that green. And of course, people shared it on their socials. I mean, that is how you do organic social to make sure that everyone gets involved. They feel part of it. It feels inclusive for us. 
that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily. So again, very clever in how the sort of drops of information was happening to pull you in a bit, pull Luz in a bit, pull Layla in a bit, you know, people who pull Jen in a bit, you know what I mean? bit different audiences for different things very very good i mean yeah just up my street to be honest yeah <laughs> yeah now, i love like, how the selfie generator yeah go ahead sorry no it's okay i was just gonna say i love how it kind of turned into a meme of its own like there was all these different iterations of it there was like a Gwyneth Paltrow one yeah that was during her kind of ski accident trial and it was like this barbie's missed half a day of skiing okay. And then there was all these other funny ones. So it became like, it was already part of the culture, but then it became part of the news cycle and really topical and fun. Yes. So I love that. Yeah. And that's really what good, what good marketing is, isn't it? So they've done a good job. Yeah. Um, Layla, you made an interesting comment about the color green before in the Stan Smith campaign. I have thoughts on that on the Barbie pink. But oh, yes. before we dive into that, I'm actually going to use this moment to cut for break. Um, so listeners, sponsors, and we'll be back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. We're back in Barbie's world here, taking over. Yeah, that's probably an ad. Uh, last we spoke with Layla and Jen, we were talking about important. Just this whole rundown of this whole campaign, and it's been so exceptional to watch and really just a masterclass in, in immersive marketing. Um, now, in Rebecca's amazing piece, I'm just going to keep praising this. Now, Mattel confirmed that this is this is a long gameplay, right? Um, Mattel wants these audiences to buy into Barbie as a lifestyle, specifically towards Gen Z and millennials. This is how we're gonna. This is what we're gonna see brands do, you know, to success of and hopefully just brand presence. Um, it's pitching it as more than just a doll. It wants them to buy the licensed products. Why is this a smart play, Jen? Let's start with you. So. It's a great question. And it's something I've thought a lot about. I, I, on a personal level, aside from as a marketer, I tend to love big franchise movies and I had a huge passion for the minions last summer and everything they've built upon. And I think, you know, with Mattel's ambitions around Barbie, around Barney, around He-Man, around all these incredible entertainment properties, lies a singular truth that when we think about a franchise and we think about marketing any franchise, all roads lead back to immersion escapism. We love a good story. And yes, it's not just a doll. And yes, it's not just a movie. It's an entire universe that they are creating. And every extraordinary franchise has done this to great success. Um, Star Wars, of course, probably being one of the most emphatic and notable. 
Um, but you see this happening across the board, particularly with entertainment. When you think about licensing, I think it can have like a bit of a similar to Barbie, a bit of a like double-edged polarizing sword. It's like, oh, licensing, they just slap a logo on everything. Or, oh, licensing, a really smart, thoughtful business strategy to put my brand in front of the right eyes at the right time. I think the road is yet to be paved for Barbie. I think there was a massive influx of work that was done. I think some partnerships were done with incredibly thoughtful intention that sits sort of in an upper echelon of true partnerships and collaborations built together. There was some really smart and thoughtful licensing work done through peripheral brand connections. So anything from an OPI nail polish to a base suitcase and hot paint. And then you had some things that just felt like they were a little bit um, out of the halo of impact or licensing for the sake of licensing. And I share that because I think like there, it is a very choiceful and smart business strategy ahead as they look to expand their entertainment universe and build these mega franchises through ultimately every touch point a consumer can engage with them. The proof is going to be in the deliberation and who they choose to move forward with and where they choose to put a stop. Um, Ubiquity very much can be a strategy when you are trying to take over an entire headspace of a community, when you want to win the hearts and minds of fans for the long haul. But ubiquity comes at a tipping point, and there is a moment in time where every brand has to make a decision of, if I've hit the level of saturation and awareness and relevancy and sustainable loyalty I can, where and when do I need to start saying no to build that barrier? Because when you don't do that and you go too darn the, too far down the evolution of franchise building and essentially brand empire building, if you don't have those clear boundaries in place, you actually start to dilute the integrity of what it is you meant to do in the first place. So a bit of a long answer, short question, but a complicated business and brand path ahead for them. I think a really smart choice if done well, but a lot of really important decisions to be made in the next 12 to 24 months. I think that's a great answer. I think that's a great, and, and and totally agree. And I think for me, this is why it's like, it's all great with the hype and it's just, what's the long tail? Like, how is that going to work? It's going to be really watch um, that next part after that, because, you know, with Gen Z and millennials, um, there's a, there's more than just Barbie. There's the aesthetic, you know, that is something interesting for them it's in the language it's in the colors of gen z millennials you know the y2k you know i mean i was there the first time around i'm like we didn't like certain things then honey you know just relax basically but you know piece as well like it fits into all those things um but it's the longevity for me that's where that's where they're going to win um and that's why i'm really keen to see and watch closely uh, what happens after um, and see what that could mean. But yeah, great, great answer, Jen. Great answer. Yeah, I was going to say to build on that, it's interesting. Like, let's take it like a step further from Barbie into like, what does the Barney plan look like? What does the He-Man plan look? And I think as you share that, Layla, it's, everything really does rely on the long tail, right? Like what happens, it's, it's with all things, right? Like anything in life where it's like that beginning is great. What about the after? And I think like that, like brands have such a responsibility and ownership of having to maintain the I think oftentimes we forget about that because we we center ourselves around these premieres, these launches, these campaign beats. And so there's an ephemeral nature in what we do, but we need to be thinking more than the ephemeral, right? Like, and I think that's the sort of how do you balance the here and now with the future and the forward? 
when they move into a world of additional um, IP, I think that's where it gets really interesting. There's been a lot of commentary around how do we, you know, quote unquote, replicate Barbie's playbook or do it like they did with Barbie. And I think there's, I see at least a lot of red flags in that. I think there's a very fine line. Right? Yeah. I see that and I was like, can we talk about that? Because there's (laughs) such a fine line between imitation and inspiration. Like that's one line in the sand. And then there's another line in the sand that is the difference of iteration versus rinse and repeat. And I think when we see a huge success like this, it's really hard for most companies, most brands, and especially most brands that fit in the same same organization, right? We're talking about one master brand that holds, you know, control over multiple IP where they're trying to sort of like unleash the toy box into a cinematic universe. I'm really curious to see how they approach it because what was done with Barbie was so smart and thoughtful in so many ways. But the fundamental knowledge around IPs like a Barney or a He-Man, entirely different relationship with the audience, entirely different starting point. And I think, um, you know, yes, they all share a spirit of nostalgia, which we see as a common theme in what people are gravitating towards and finding sort of almost a refreshing nourishment from, like tapping back into simpler, more joyful times. But my great hope is that it's not like, we'll just do what we did for that IP and ergo becomes our mm-hmm. franchise marketing playbook because to do it with excellence the way this has been done, every single IP is going to be have to put through a different filter and a different lens. And and, mm-hmm. and that is really the difference between what I talk about marketing that is bespoke to a brand. A brand has its place in the world. Identifying, and again, we talk about a cultural positioning which is different to your brand positioning. It's what the what is the role of that particular only in the world and what are the issues globally that's happening that makes it relevant to the world. That's the first bit that needs to happen. The creative comes out of what is the role of the world and it's bespoke to your brand. And that's really important because Jen, I totally hear you. It's not about evolving the playbook. It's evolving your playbook. And that's a really important part. At the moment, playbook for everyone, right? And then you go, oh, that was really successful. Let's do it again. It becomes boring and formulaic the next time, not even the fifth time, the next time. And that's where good marketing happens. That's where good ideas happen, where that nugget of gold that only this brand can do and it's a hard thing to do yes. but that is the secret source to culture marketing it's the secret source um and that's hard to do because it's not a paint by numbers kind of job at all bespoke it's thoughtful it's considered it's nuanced that's where relevance comes in and, and i talk about relevance not only within the campaign spike times i talk about your product or service needs to be relevant to your audiences at all times outside of the spike times you know what I mean so there's a lot to see what happens after this moment that will you know for me at least let me know whether there's a good or, or longevity to it so I'm, I'm really watching with close eyes because it's super exciting I mean it's you know super interesting so I think you know it is important to have those nuances even within you know brands and what they're trying to do so it, it was a good point to bring up Jen 
Yeah, 100%. And I just think there's been so much to unpack here around, you know, you both mentioned like cultural nuances and the kind of importance of like cultural creators and influencers and the impact they've had in the movie. And I think it's going to be so interesting because Barbie is 65 next year and Mattel said they kind of plan, they've held some stuff back. They plan to celebrate that and like live off the buzz and the vibe of this movie. So TBC, how it plays out for the brand. And of course, um, we're seeing Mattel enter the cinematic universe Lena, with Lena Durham's Polly Pocket and Daniel Kaluuya's Barney, um, which I'm terrified and fascinated by how that's going to turn out. And yeah, they have a, a lot to live up to here and it's kind of ushered in a new era for movie marketing, I'd say. So let's watch the space, let's watch the movie or Oppenheimer, whichever one you want to go see this week. And thank you all for a fabulous discussion about Barbie or a Super Bowl. That was great. Yes. Thank you for thank having you us. Both. You're thank brilliant. You. Yeah. Thank you and so thank much for having us. This is great. Amazing. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.